Well, I thought I would uh, start this morning by just looking over one or two things which have been on my mind. You know, over the past few months we've been warning about the teaching which is rife in churches today. The emerging church, we've been speaking about the problems that it is causing. And now the, the teaching that they are promoting, getting back to the early fathers and getting back to the Celtic roots of the church and all that kind of nonsense. And this is not surprising as the Roman Catholic Church has this teaching, this teaching of the fathers as a basic belief. The emerging church leads not only back to the early fathers but it will lead us back to the Church of Rome. And I was always amazed, I am always amazed that people will still uh, regard the Roman Catholic Church as a, a legitimate evangelical church. I don't think people read what the church teaches. And that's the problem. They don't buy some of these books that the Roman Catholic Church produces. Things like the glories of Mary and others on the rosary and things and, and read them. The secret of the rosary, which the previous Pope recommended as a, uh, as a book to be read. I used to be a member of the Catholic Library up in London, the Roman Catholic Library. And I used to get these books out on loan, and, but it closed unfortunately, so I don't have a source to get these books and read them as I used to have. But I used to get them and read them and take notes about them. People think the Roman Catholic Church has changed. It hasn't changed. The Catholic traditions are on equal par, they say, to the Word of God. Here's, listen to this. Sacred tradition and sacred scripture, then, are bound closely together and communicate one with the other, for both of them, flowing out from the same divine wellspring, come together in some fashion to form one thing and move towards the same goal. Thus it comes about that the church does not draw her certainty about all revealed truths from the Holy Scriptures alone. Hence both scripture and tradition must be accepted and honoured with equal feelings of devotion and reverence. And that's from the dogmatic constitution on Divine Revelation, chapter 2, 9, and page 682. You know, the Catechism of the Catholic Church was uh, brought out recently. Well, it was brought out during the time of the last Pope. And in the, the, the bit at the start that the Pope wrote, he said, It is offered to every individual, the Catechism of the Catholic Church, is offered to every individual who wants to know what the Catholic Church believes. So I think it's imperative that you should go out and buy a copy of this Catechism of the Catholic Church and read what they say. Because that's why it was written, if you want to know what the Catholic Church believes. And, and paragraph 80 of that, it says, Sacred tradition and sacred scripture then are bound closely together and communicate one with the other. 
goes on in 82. As a result, the church to whom the transmission and interpretation of revelation is entrusted does not derive her certainty about all revealed truths from the Holy Scriptures alone. Both scripture and tradition must be accepted and honoured with equal sentiments of devotion and reverence. And here's something else. Bible interpretation is the sole right of the Pope and bishops. Paragraph 100. The task of interpreting the word of God authentically has been entrusted solely to the magisterium of the church, that is, to the Pope and to the bishops in communion with him. So if you want to know what the Bible teaches, if you're a Roman Catholic, you must agree with what the Pope says it is. What did Jesus say about traditions? He said, laying aside the commandment of God, ye hold the tradition of men. And he said unto them, this is in Mark chapter 7 and verse 9, Full well ye reject the commandment of God, that ye may keep your own tradition. It goes on in verse 13, Making the word of God of none effect through your tradition, which ye have delivered, and many such like things do ye. Paul writing to the Colossians in 2 verse 8, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. Christ, speaking in Matthew 15 verse 9, points so opposite to what we're saying, In vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. So just something I, I've, it's on my mind because I cannot understand how people still accept the Roman Catholic Church as being a church which teaches the Word of God. You won't be popular if you say this, of course, because people like to have unity, but at the expense, unfortunately, of the truth. So there we are. You know, there's been a great deal of column inches in the newspapers in the last few months regarding the latest health scare, swine flu. You know, the numbers at present are reasonably modest, but they reckon that as the winter comes, things might get a lot worse. The World Health Organization has deemed it necessary to declare it to be a global problem or as they call it, a pandemic, because it has spread through all the continents. The problem with this flu, of course, as with many other things, is that it's an unseen enemy. I listened to an interview on uh, Radio Aaron, actually, the other day. The chief medical officer for the government over there was being interviewed. A child in a school in Mayo had been diagnosed as having the flu. And he was being quizzed by the presenter. And he was said, had, had the child been abroad? Had she mixed with people who had been abroad? 
had other members of our school class got the flu and so on? What precautions were being taken to prevent others acquiring it? And all these questions, but really he didn't have much of an answer because the man didn't know how the child had got the infection. But he did his best in trying to answer the questions. I thought this morning we might learn a good lesson from the swine flu. And see how we as Christians can be infected as we go through this world. Is there, is there some method that we can apply to our lives to keep us healthy and help prevent us becoming infected as we go through life? I believe we can by the living word of God, by feeding on the bread of life living on the mountain underneath a cloudless sky I'm drinking at the fountain that never will run dry I'm feasting on the manna from a bountiful supply because I'm dwelling in Beulah land quite often we become infected by the things we eat or the water we drink but we need to be living close to the Lord now we're speaking obviously this morning to those who have been genuinely saved, genuinely accepted Christ as their Lord and Saviour, and those who seek to walk closely with their Master day by day. Those who have been born again of the Spirit of God. Unlike some illnesses and infections, there does not appear to be a visible sign, such as spots that the patient has got. It's only when you have the flu and tests are made that you realise that you have this swine flu. It's so easy for us as Christians to, to become infected as we walk in this world and fall, as Scripture says, into the snare of the devil. 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 12 so that you may walk becomingly toward those outside, that you may lack nothing. We have to walk carefully as we go through this world. Obviously, if we know that there's a swine flu about in, in a particular district of people have got swine flu, we don't go walking with them. We, we keep ourselves unspotted. First Timothy 3 verse 7 but we must also have a good report from those on the outside lest we fall into reproach and the snare of the devil we must be careful how we walk but we must also show by our walk that we are the children of God and those outside there will recognize that there's something different in our lives the New Testament writers were constantly encouraging believers to walk worthy of their calling as Christians. Constantly imploring us to walk worthy. Ephesians 4 verse 1 I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. Colossians 1 verse 10 writing to the Colossians that ye might walk worthy of the Lord, unto all pleasing, 
being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. How are we going to show that we are walking worthy, being fruitful in every good work? First Thessalonians, writing to the Thessalonians. So we write to the Ephesians, to the Thessalonians and the Colossians. That ye would walk worthy of God who hath called you unto his kingdom and glory. We're in a very privileged position. We're sons of the king and we should walk worthy. You know, when we were at school and we were going about in our school uniform, we were expected to walk worthy of the school. We were ambassadors of the school when we were wearing that uniform. And where to the people in the streets should have been examples of the school. We should have walked worthy of the school. For us as Christians, we are to be examples of the way a Christian should walk and behave. You know, writing to the Philippine, Paul could say, and this always, I find, a challenge. Philippians 3, verse 17. Brothers, be imitators together of me. And mark those who walk this way. For you have us for a pattern. It's not amazing. Would I ever dare say to another Christian, be an imitator of me? But Paul could say it. Be imitators together of me and mark those who walk this way. For you have us for a pattern. And above all we should walk as Christ walked. You know I always think when you see a little kid walking down the street and maybe he's behind or in front of his father and you look at the kid and he just walks the same as his father. It's lovely to see it. The way he walks, just he's walking like his father, because he's copying his father. And that's the way we should walk. We should walk as Jesus walked. On, uh, to the Thessalonians, Paul could say, 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 7, So that you were examples. They were examples. To a few people, no. They were, the way they walked was so good. He says, you were examples to all who believe in Macedonia and Acacia. In a whole area, a whole district, these people he was writing to, they were examples to all who believe in Macedonia and Acacia. And writing to Timothy, Paul explained his calling thus. Paul's calling, he explains it here. First Timothy 1.16 and, but for this cause I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all long-suffering as a pattern to those being about to believe on him to life everlasting. Oh, he said, these people weren't Christians yet. But he says, my life, the long-suffering that Christ showed through me was to act as a pattern of what the Christian life should be. That in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering as a pattern to those 
being about to believe on him to life everlasting. He was concerned about those who were about to believe. And again, he wrote to Timothy. In 1 Timothy 4 verse 12, Let no one despise your youth, but be an example of the believers. In word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. What a wonderful list that would be if we could all be examples. If I could be an example to others in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith and in purity. Oh God help us to walk like that. And then he wrote to Titus. Titus 2 verse 7. In all things having shown yourself a pattern of good works. A pattern of doctrine. A pattern of purity. A pattern of sensibleness. And a pattern of living without corruption. We've had a lot in the papers recently about all these MPs. None of them seem to ever do anything wrong. They won't admit it in any case. But they are not living the way a Christian should live. A pattern. People looked up to the MPs as people who deserved respect. But they've lost all that. And he, Paul writing to Titus is saying, I want you to show yourself a pattern of good works. To teach the right doctrine. So that people could look to, to you and the doctrine you teach as a pattern of the right teaching. That they could look at the purity of your life. This is difficult. But you're going to be looked at for the purity of your life, Titus. And show yourself a pattern of that. In this translation, it says sensibleness. I think it's the New King James. Sensibleness. Well, we, we, we get Christians who sometimes are not. They don't talk sense. They want to be sensible Christians. And without corruption. One must walk at all times with the hope in mind of being a pattern, not only to the Christians, but to those outside the church. And that's why Paul wrote to the Thessalonians. In Thessalonians 4, 1 Thessalonians 4.12, he says, So that you may walk becomingly. That's a nice old-fashioned word becomingly toward those outside and that you may lack nothing it's so important that we walk becomingly towards the people around first timothy 3 verse 7 but he must also talking about the 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 office of a bishop he must also have a good report 
from those on the outside. Oh, it's no, no point in just having a good report of people in your circle of Christian friends or in your little assembly. The people outside must not be able to cast any doubt on your, your behaviour and your, your lifestyle. They mightn't agree with you, but they won't be able to point out that you have done wrong. Lest, because if you don't have this good report from those on the outside, it says you will fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Now, the other thing about diseases, flus and things, the swine flu doesn't appear to produce any spots. Now we all, as kids, have had chicken pox and things like that. And all these little spots come out. And that's how your mother and father knew whether you had chicken pox or not. Because you looked as if you had chicken pox. The spots were a sign of the infection inside. They just didn't appear. You got something wrong with the inside and it produced spots on the outside. That's why it says, without blemish and without spots. The blemish was inside when the spots came on the outside. <laughs> That's my idea in any case. We're all familiar with these chicken spots. But you know, to an Israelite reading the Bible, spots were a very important thing. A very important part of their life was taken up with spots. And many to whom Paul was writing when he mentioned spots would be aware of this. The law was very strict about people having spots. Leviticus 13.25 gives an example. This man had spots and he had to go to the priest. The priest should look upon it. And behold, if the hair in the bright spot be turned white, and it be in sight deeper than the skin, it is a leprosy broken out of the burning. Wherefore the priest shall pronounce him unclean. It is the plague of leprosy. We can only imagine the agony of this man. He'd had to wait, I think it was 7 or 14 days, waiting and then representing himself to the priest. And he was declared unclean. Unclean. And we, as we go through this life as Christians, must be careful not to acquire spiritually infected spots on us. James reminds us, James 1.27, Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction, that is to, to have a sense of uh, identity with people and to keep himself unspotted from the world in other words we should keep away from where we might get infected to keep away from areas in the world where we don't mix so that we're not infected and have spots Peter it says about Christians who were looking towards their inheritance. And he told us obviously about the inheritance which was undefiled, 
didn't fade away, it wouldn't rust, it wouldn't be corrupted, it was reserved in heaven for us. And if we're looking towards that wonderful inheritance which God is given to us, he says, therefore, Second Peter 3.14, therefore, beloved, looking for these things, looking for that wonderful inheritance, how are we to be? We're to be diligent. Diligent. Diligent in our, in our Christian life. In our Christian walk. We are to be spotless. Spotless. And without blemish. And how do we try to remain spotless? By being careful how we walk. And that we walk worthy of God. Spotless and without blemish. And to be found by him in peace. God is looking for people in this world. Christians who will walk worthy of him. Who will walk in communion with him. Who will walk in such a way as to maintain a diligent Christian life. And to keep away from those things. Which will give us spots. And we'll be found by him in peace. Now we all know wonderfully. That there was only one who was spotless and undefiled. Only one. Hebrews 7, 26. For such an high priest became us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, undefiled. People who get flu, who get chickenpox, they, they've been defiled in some way. Jesus Christ was holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners. And made higher than the heavens. Goes on in Hebrews 4, 9 verse 14. How much more shall the blood of Christ. Who through the eternal spirit. Offered himself. Without spot to God. Oh we thank God that he was. The sinless spotless. Son of God. And he shall purge our conscience. From dead works. To serve the living God. Oh, I'm sure it's easy for us to get caught up in things that are dead. Dead works. May we walk as he walked. And this, in First Peter 1, verse 18. For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation... And it's interesting here, isn't it, from what we said at the start, received by tradition from your fathers. All oh, the Jews, were they loved their tradition. But it wasn't going to save them. They weren't going to be saved by the tradition from their fathers. They weren't going to be saved by silver and gold or their, their lifestyle. But with the precious blood of Christ... As of a lamb. Without blemish. 
and without spot. Oh, we thank God that he was the sinless, spotless Son of God. And his blood atones for you and me. There is a green hill far away without a city wall where the dear Lord was crucified who died to save us all. We may not know, we cannot tell what pains he had to bear but we believe it was for us he hung and suffered there. He died that we might be forgiven. He died to make us good that we might go at last to heaven saved by his precious blood. There was no other good enough to pay the price of sin. He only could unlock the gate of heaven and let us in. Oh dearly, dearly has he loved and we must love him too. And trust in his redeeming blood. And try his works to do. That hymn we used to sing as kids. But still, it's so true. And Paul again writing to Timothy. In 1 Timothy 6, reading from verse 13. I charge you before God, who makes all things alive, and in the sight of Christ Jesus, who witnessed the good confession before Pontius Pilate. I was thinking about this morning, actually, uh, while I was before this little talk here. He witnessed... The good confession before Pontius Pilate. He witnessed to Pontius Pilate, the judge, who was to decide whether he was guilty or not. We know that Pilate was troubled because his wife was troubled. Because he realised that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. Witnessed a good confession before Pontius Pilate. But it says, I charge you before God that you keep the commandment without spot and without blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he, 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 he goes into saying what Jesus Christ is. He is, he in his own time will reveal who is the blessed and only potentate the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, dwelling in light which cannot be approached, whom no one of men have seen, nor can see, to whom be honour and power everlasting. God in all his glory, the blessed and only potentate. But he says, going back to verse 14, that you keep the commandment without spot and without blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Go to verse 17. Charge the rich, charge the rich in this world that they be not high-minded nor trust in uncertain riches but in the living God. He offering to us richly all things to enjoy. Oh God gives us so much to enjoy. And here's what it is. The commandment that they do good. That they be rich in good works. 
ready to share, to be generous. And because of that, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. Oh, that's the way God wants us to live. Finally, in Colossians 4 verse 5, Paul writing to the Colossians again, he says, Walk in wisdom toward those on the outside, redeeming the time. Redeeming the time. That's a funny expression. Redeeming the time. What does it mean? Here's what Strong says it means. To make wise and sacred use of every opportunity for doing good. So that zeal and well-doing are as it were the purchase money by which we make the time our own. To make wise and sacred use of every opportunity for doing good so that zeal and well-doing are as it were the purchase money by which we make the time our own. Walk in wisdom. May God help us. May God help me and each one of us as we walk through this wicked, evil world. May we live lives worthy of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.